the passage we're coming in today is, uh, it's tough. It really is. Because it's so out of the realm of our culture. It's really quite a simple passage, to be honest. But understanding how we take that passage to us can be difficult. It's abused quite often. Um, And sometimes people will get a meaning out of it, and they'll just lose sight of the overall picture. And so I want to say a couple things, just in general, and about this passage, and we'll go through it. It's really important that we understand that when we read the New Testament, it is 2,000 years ago. Now, obviously, the truth is timeless. Jesus Christ is Lord. That is eternal. Salvation, you know, through him. That, that, oh, I get all that. But a lot of times, we come to customs and mannerisms and things that are foreign to us. That shouldn't surprise us. In our own country, you can go to places and things are foreign to them. I've been to parts of our, our country, they don't know what biscuits and gravy is. I mean, that, that's, how do you not know that? You know, I come from a place where we put brisket and flour tortillas and call that a meal. We love that. You know, there are things that, phrases and things we do that are different areas. So culture, and not culture in the sense that sometimes talk about in the bad sense, but different cultures and subcultures, things are just different. And, and you've got to understand that even in the New Testament, life in Jerusalem was different than life in Corinth. And life in Corinth was different than life in Rome. It's not all the same. And, and their cultures were different. Some, they spoke different languages oftentimes. Um, they worshiped different gods, even among the pagans. The Greek would worship Greek mythology and the Romans would worship Roman mythology. And while there's similarities, there's differences. You know, so you, you, you kind of got to get all of that. And so Paul, in dealing with problems in churches, sometimes are dealing with problems very specific to them, and they don't easily translate to us. And our task, and my job, is to understand what's being said and say, okay, how do I take that, which has no relevance culturally to what I'm going through, and you're going to fix and see that big time, and make it helpful to us. I've said this many times. All of Scripture, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, is inspired by God. It is inerrant and infallible, but it is not all equally important or helpful. You do understand that. That's why in your devotional time, you rarely read Ecclesiastes, but you probably read Psalms a lot. That's why you focus on Jesus in the New Testament. What Jesus says is far more important than what Obadiah says. And then we understand that. Now, in that culture, it was a man-dominated society. And people who think America's male-dominated, you have no idea what it was like back then. I, I, sometimes they say women was a little more than property. That's probably an overstatement. But women did not have anywhere near the same rights and privileges as men. Wealthy women had more simply because 
they could leverage their prominence to make their husband's life miserable. And normally, they just bought their wives off and did whatever. And that's true. The Jewish life was different. In Judaism, women were hugely elevated. But not like Christianity. Because in Christianity, women were seen as equal to men. In nature, in character, in importance, and in creation. But they still, in culture, didn't necessarily function that way. One of the things that Christianity did, especially to Gentiles, more than even the Jews, because Jewish women were elevated, is they gave Gentile women a freedom in Christ. And Paul would say, there's no difference between male and female, slave and free, Jew or Gentile. Amen. Corinth has full of problems. And we're going to see, and, and, and we get past chapter 11 in a couple of weeks, to get chapter 12, 13, and 14 with spiritual gifts. Those problems are just going to be exacerbated. But one of the big problems was the freedom they have in life to worship. And that's what we're going to deal with. In that culture, for the most part, women kept their heads covered in public. Cover your heads. You've seen probably pictures doing that. Men would too sometimes, but it wasn't the same thing. Unless you were the mistress of a very wealthy man and you were in a position to flaunt that, they would keep their head uncovered. Probably, for the most part, probably in Corinth, I'm talking about Corinth, there was a lot of sacred prostitutes, and that was actually considered an elevated position for women, and they would keep their head uncovered. Women who were slaves in lots of cultures would shave their head and be short-cropped. And women caught in adultery to be punished and admonished publicly would sometimes have their hair cut short. And other things as well. Uh, they didn't have to wear Scarlet A. That was just in uh, America. And, uh, you know, I remember reading that book, The Scarlet Letter. That was... Not a good book. That guy didn't like preachers at all. I'm telling you right now. And you've got to kind of understand this. And so in their freedom, women were coming to worship. And probably, not so much intentionally, but just in the excitement of what they were doing, they were treating themselves like the equivalent of men, which they were, and they were uncovering their heads. And that was causing problems. They have to understand. They're trying to reach a Greek culture. And you can't reach the Greek culture by causing chaos and confusion and trying to upend the social order. That's why you don't see them doing away with slavery. Paul says some pretty harsh things about slavery. He never does away with it. Jesus never even touched the subject. Their primary focus was to get people to Christ and change their lives. By the way, the best way to change the culture is for people to come to Christ. And if you get a bunch of people to come to Christ, their life changes, culture will change with it. Now, by the way, when you fail to get people to come to Christ, it goes the other way too. Might as well keep that in mind in our culture today. And so you have this going on. So there appears to be this issue. Chapter 11 is dealing with worship. At the end of chapter, last half of chapter 11 is to do with the Lord's Supper. So Paul is clearing up some things. So verse 2, last week he said, verse, chapter 11 verse 1 kind of goes with the preceding. Now he says this in verse 2, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hope firmly to the traditions just as I delivered to you. Now, he's not, when he talks about traditions, he's just talking about the basic fundamental elements of the faith that he had taught them. There are some things they're doing well. One of them is they're worshiping. That's fantastic. But there's some problems in worship. There are going to be more problems later on when we get to all the charismatic gifts. He's going to deal with those problems secondly. Now he's just dealing with this one. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, 
And the man is head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. And in our culture, women tend to not like that because they don't understand that culture. All of these have to do with relational things. Now, the word head, Greek word kephala, there is a ton of debate over what its primary meaning is. It does mean, to some degree, it means head, you know. But it, it, it can mean, like, for us, if I said someone's the head of something, it could mean they were in charge. They were, they were the CEO. Um, I could say someone is heading something up. That means they're just leading it up. Oh, so-and-so, is, he's heading up a, a group of people that want to help raise money for whatever. It doesn't mean he's the boss, he's just leading but a lot of times, head means the source of. We talk about the head waters, okay? Um, our culture, you know, we talk about the man being the head of the family. And depending on what family you're talking about, depends on what explanation you're getting. Because not everybody means the same thing. I'm the head of my family because my wife has placed me there right below her. So I get to be the head. <laughs> when she's going to make a change, she'll make a change. That's how it works. In different places in in New Testament, it can mean different things. That's what's kind of hard work. But fundamentally in this passage, many, not all, many, such as myself, understand that since there is a relational concept, it has the beginning of source of, or to some degree, taking primacy in terms of order. For instance, think about what it says. Christ is the head of every man. Christ comes in order, of promise you, before. In terms of salvation, he's source of. In terms of creation, since the New Testament teaches Christ was involved in creation, he creates. God is the head of Christ. Now, that's a very difficult thing. What does that mean? Because, you know, there's one God, three personalities, three persons. They're all equal. There's not three different gods. Well, when Jesus became human, he became here as the Christ. Remember, as the second person of the Godhead, Jesus is Jesus. He's the son, but he's not Christ. He didn't become Christ the title, Messiah. Remember, Christ means Messiah. He didn't become, that's what he came on the earth. So Christ came to be the Messiah. God sent him. That's the source of it. And so man is the head of woman. You have to keep them all the same. And the only way it really fits the same relationally is if you had source of. In other words, Paul's going to define that even more about the role of women. But all those relationships are important. It's not about domination. It's about how things proceed. What comes first. It's not that the father comes before the son first. But Jesus as Christ, he didn't become Christ till he became on earth. The title Christ. You got that right. No one's confused. I'm not saying he was created or, was, or he didn't pre-exist. I'm saying the title of Christ, Messiah, or anointed one, was when he was on earth. Every man has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. In other words, when the man would cover his head, that was not common back in that day and age. I mean, they, men did not normally cover their head. Culturally, women did, but men didn't. So in, in a place of prayer, the men's head should be uncovered. But every woman, this is not about marriage in this part, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying and prophesying disgraces her head. 
For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Now, remember, shaving your head was not acceptable back then. It usually was a sign of disgrace. If you uncovered your head, it was the same thing. And people, you know, people take root of that. What does that mean? Now, I want you to understand something. Here's what gets forgotten. And a lot of my ultra, ultra fundamentalist friends who look at this and say, yeah, women have to be subservient in church and blah, blah, blah. Do you see what they were doing? Look at that verse. What were they doing? They were prophesying. And pray just like men. And Paul never says that is wrong. And so when we say women should not in the church preach or lead in prayer, you and Paul, or those people in Paul do not agree. Now, I'm Baptist, and so no women's ever going to preach up here. I got you. I have people sometimes say to me, ask me, what do you think about women pastors? Say, well, I'm a senior pastor of the church. It's not a problem for me. I'm never going to have to worry about a senior pastor who's a woman. I don't care what other churches do. And people ask, is it allowable? And and my answer is always the same. Scripture neither prohibits it or prescribes it. To the best of my experience and my exegetical studies and all that jazz. But... As a rule, to keep the peace and not try to raise a fuss, in Baptist world, we tend not to have too many women as senior pastors. I, do I think a woman could stand up here and preach and it'd be okay biblically? Yeah. Will that ever happen at First Baptist Church while I'm pastor? Nah. Because I ain't stupid. I had nothing to gain out of it. I'll let you know, Brian and Troy and all those guys preach. But I'm not gaining. What do I gain other than I'm going to upset a whole bunch of my folks? For what? What did I gain? You know, so there's nothing to be gained by it. There's a lot of people I won't let preach by. But, you know, I don't let this thing by preach. So there's a rationale for all of that. So, so when, when all the ultra-hardcore fundamentalists get all upset about women preaching, and they all get upset because women, and you know churches and groups that don't, women aren't covered, they tend to forget this one little part of this verse. And I don't know how to explain it any other way than that's what they were doing. If a woman does not cover her head, then she might as well just cut her hair off. It's disgraceful. But if it's disgraceful to a woman to have her uh, hair cut off or head shaved, they ought to cover her head. Now remember, he's dealing with a very specific problem. Some people think it has to do with covering it all, but the way they designed their hair, uh, the way they sort of coif their hair, that it's the type of hair it is. It seems, you know, this, the plain reading of it seems. Why it was happening, he didn't go into it. That was happening. Now, he says a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the men. Now, don't get upset, women. Let's explain what that means. Glory has to do with the honor. So, the glory of God, the praise, the praise, the making, the honoring God, the shining on God, man was created. Man creates honor God. The woman is the glory of man, not that she's subservient to man. If you go on and read, it's because woman makes man complete. It's glory in a different way. We glory God, man glorifies God in his honor and worship and praise. That's not what it means here for the woman. Now, glory has to mean basically the same thing. I get that. But it's all relational. It has to do with the relationship. In the relationship of God and man, man is to glorify God. 
In the relationship between my wife and I, her task isn't to honor and glorify me. Her task is to finish off the task God assigned her at creation, which is to complete and complement our relationship. That brings glory to our marriage and our family. When she does that, somebody would tell her that when this is over, and I appreciate it. I'm not going to. You, Terry Dean, say nothing to my wife. It'll nothing but get me in trouble. Here's why. Man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. (laughs) Man came first. But, verse 9 goes on. Indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake. Woman was created for the man's sake. Remember that. That's woman was created to create man. But hang on, don't get, don't worry. It's gonna, we're gonna even out the playing field. Anybody that stops right there, don't do that. Guys, don't quote that up to your wife. Don't just quote that part and walk away. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. This is, I have no idea why. No one knows why Paul wrote because of the angels. The authority has to do with praying and prophesying, not in relation. The authority isn't the husband. The ultimate authority is God. So because woman was created, second to man, to complete the process of that human relationship, and man's head is not covered, and a woman's head is covered, for the authority that she is under of God, she's under God's authority, cover your head when you're praying and prophesying. That's what they do. That's part of their culture. That's part of the way they look at life. And you do it because of the angels. <laughs> this is not official, what I'm about to say. Paul may have just been putting that in there to leverage that and make him feel guilty. I don't know. But probably theologically it has to do with the concept that the angels who worship and glorify God in our worship services somehow celebrate the glory of God. That's as good as I got. Someone may have a much better answer than me. I don't have a good answer. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. You get this? In the Lord, when you put away all culture, when you put away all systems, neither is independent. For as the woman originates from the man, oh, also, so also, man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So the first woman came from man, and from that point forward, all men come from women. So you see this shifting back of equality. There is a cultural problem in the worship services. The problem isn't that the women are prophesying and praying. That's not the problem. The problem is they look like prostitutes, and they're reminding the people who come, who come from a pagan background, why are those women who are preaching and praying, why are their head uncovered like the prostitutes and mistresses? And so Paul is saying, listen, put something over your head. Here's the biblical reason for it. But don't confuse putting a covering over your head as if in any way you're inferior to men because you're not. Not in any capacity. Paul says this in verse 13. Judge for yourselves. 
Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Now, there is no real corollary to that in our culture today. I guess 40 years ago, when I was 50 years ago, when I was growing up, we could have said, is it proper for a woman to pray wearing pants instead of a skirt? Maybe. I don't think that flies today. That's all I got on that. Because I... Now, none of y'all doing this, but I, I'm, I'm just telling you. I stand out there every Sunday and by reading people. There's some things being worn. Man, that's I, I, tough. I mean, there was a time you wouldn't have worn that anywhere. I'm just like, Lord, help me. Hi, how y'all? I just say, hey, good to have y'all. And I look, I'm looking like over the top of their head. Who could have had you? Does not nature, Paul's last appeal, does not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's an dishonor to him? Historically, women have always had longer hair. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and we had long hair, but women always had longer hair. Unless you're Fabio, your women's going to have longer hair, you know? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her as a covering. Then Paul says this, but if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. He's finally saying, if you're going to argue with me, I got nothing else to add. I'm moving on to the next problem. He's said his peace. Thank goodness it's over how I look at it. But here's the thing. And we have to be so careful. Our culture, our world we live in is fundamentally different in so many ways. There were a lot of accepted norms and practices back then that it didn't matter if you were Jewish or Gentile or Christian, pretty normative. I grew up in that world. In the world I grew up in, there there were certain things that were acceptable. I didn't care who you were. You didn't use profanity in public. You, you, you never cuss in front of adults that's growing. I mean, I remember as a teenager, we never cussed. I don't care who. We, no one, that, even the most lost of my friends, you never used bad language in front of adults. There, there, there were so many things culturally that we all understood. That world has changed. I get that. And, you know, I say all the time, we have to encounter our culture, but we can't embrace it. But we still need to be aware that in the course of helping people come to Jesus, we've got to be sure that we don't up front unnecessarily do something that interferes with them coming to Christ. It may be different than that way. Let me give you a good example. I think it's a good example. It may not be. I get asked all the time to endorse people politically. Four years ago when Steve Peace was running for governor or whatever, you know, I had, a lot of, had some pressure to do something, I and mean, I didn't do it. I didn't do it for a very simple reason. It's not my job as to pastor First Baptist Church to get involved in politics. I don't know if people realize this or not, but in First Baptist Church, we may have a lot of Republicans. We've got a pretty fair share of Democrats. And a lot of the lost people that come from different backgrounds come from that world. They don't, need, they don't want me to tell them how to vote. I need to share them with Jesus. If I get involved in politics, I may push them away from what's most important. For what good? I heard someone say, people need to know where you stand. I'm like, 
I'm a middle-aged white guy from South Texas who's a Baptist preacher. I think people pretty much know where I stand. You think anybody walking through the door of this church, regardless of their political affiliation, looks one look at me, hears me talk, and has any question whether or not I vote a certain way? And as a lifelong libertarian, I would hope that they would. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when the time is right, I preach about marriage, and I'll say same-sex marriage is wrong. But I don't go out of my way to attack all that stuff. Because we have same-sex people come to our church, and I want them to come to Jesus. Obviously, when I deal with abortion, I hold nothing back. And I'm praying, praise God, I hope the Supreme Court ends that mess, at least on that level, they'll go to the state level. I know it won't end in New Mexico, but one battle at a time. But that's, that's not my fight. That's not what I go fight for. I know preachers get all caught up in politics and all that. Listen, my job isn't to get you to vote a certain way. My responsibility to God is to help people come to Christ. Now, there's, I look at a passage like that, and that reminds me. What is my responsibility? To create chaos? No. I try not to create chaos. I know once in a while, I mean, sometimes things come up. I have to take a stand. People leave. It's happened since I've been here three or four times. Last great crisis was the flag crisis about two or three years ago. If you don't know about the flag crisis, thank goodness. And at some point, I just took a stand. This is how it's going to be. But I don't. My task, my job, is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to help people who are lost be saved. To help people who are saved Honor God and reach the lost and to disciple you. As a church, our task is to reach people, not try to push them away over foolishness. Now, that's what I take out of this. We don't have cultural, we don't have norms of dress anymore. That, that ship has sailed. So I'm, out, I'm not the dress police. There are people who wear T-shirts, and I'm like, what they're advertising, I'm like, Lord, have mercy. It's not, I, that's not it. I want them to come to Jesus. Unless it's antichrist or satanic, that would be different. But on the whole, you know, listen, you, if you were here at 12, 15 Sunday, it, it got interesting. Just It got a little interesting towards the end. <laughs> and I went outside, and afterwards, what are you you guys paying attention who comes to church? Yeah, they were. They figured they needed Jesus to let that person just come on in. I'm like, all right, I guess you're right. I, I get all that. And what I'm seeing Paul saying here is, don't make it difficult for people who are outside of Christ to come to Christ. Don't unnecessarily put up barriers. Sometimes, got to let it ride. Now, the good news, women, is we don't care what you do with your hair. Guys, we don't care what you do with your hair. If you're up on the platform, that may be different. I may care at that point. But obviously, I don't have too big a care with some of the things they do with their hair. You know, it's probably not what I would do, but 
I'm not poofing mine up, but that's okay. It's not here. You tell him I said that, would you? I'm not poofing the hair. But this isn't really about, in the end of the day, making women subject to something. It's about understanding, let's don't take advantage of our freedom to Christ to make it hard for lost people to come to Jesus. And to quote Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. So, we got a few minutes, and I'm going to end it. So you can uh, get ready. We'll have a business meeting in a few minutes. If you're a guest, you're welcome to stay at a business meeting. You don't have to. But be sure you understand sometimes. When, when things seem strange culturally, to you, understand it's probably a really specific thing. Don't get caught up in this. But the next time some ultra-conservative fundamentalist says something about the way women dress, just remind them, you let women pray and prophesy? Because if you're going to follow that passage about women and the way they dress and being subordinate to men in the church, you better be sure you're letting them pray and prophesy. And I can guarantee you they don't do that. Okay, well, that was a happy. Next week, we're talking about the Lord's Supper and getting drunk in church. So that's good. <laughs>